Welcome everyone to our community roundup with Reliability Sherpa himself and myself. My name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You all probably know this is the Maintenance Mavericks podcast for people who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. In this podcast episode, we're going to be reviewing some of the questions submitted by our members within the maintenance community Slack group. We've done this probably what, Ramesh, five or six times now? We've got a good process down. We're going to hear some Awesome insights from one of our very own maintenance experts in residence, and obviously the reliability Sherpa himself, Ramesh Gulati. Um, just as a quick reminder for everyone that doesn't know already, the Maintenance Community Side Group is an awesome place for people in maintenance reliability to ask questions and learn from thousands of other professionals all around the world, different industries, different job titles, um, different countries, all across the world, and it's a really, really awesome place to learn. So if you haven't already, join the maintenance community Slack group. You can find it at upkeep.org slash Slack. Today, Ramesh and I are super excited to do this deep dive into real questions asked by our community members within our Slack group. Um, one of the things that I personally love, Ramesh, is about our maintenance community Slack group is the topics just span everything from very, very high level to on the ground problem solving. And again, as we mentioned, it goes from you know, different industries different countries, different job titles, different experiences. And it's really cool to see some of the, uh, the questions that get asked and learn from all of your experiences. So today I'm really excited to dig in, hear your take on some of these real life questions. Ramesh, are you ready to jump in? Yes, right, let's do it. Let's do it, let's do it. We've done this a few times. The first question comes from one of our community members. His name is Evan, he asked, Ramesh, what do you think is the most important maintenance measurement or top three to gauge success of a maintenance program? Which metric does the best job of showing improvement? We've talked about this a few times on this show, and it's a really good question to ask because at the end of the day, the way that our team gets more funding and the way that our team you know, gets valued more is by having good measures of success. What are your thoughts, Ramesh? That's exactly right. In fact, Every time I teach or talk, this is the question comes, what are the metrics we need to have? Okay, so this is a very common question. Everybody wants to know because many companies have many, many metrics and that doesn't make sense. So before I answer three or four metrics which are needed are good in my mind or which I have tried, I just want to say something that metrics are there to help us to make improvement, okay? And if you have wrong metrics, or uh, if you're not doing things right, you are not doing a service. You are not going to make improvement. So metrics there to make improvements. Based on data, you're going to come up these metrics and track them. And then you have to come up a, a improvement strategy. What you're going to do about it. Okay. And then you have a mitigant task. It should change. Whatever you do, it should change your people's behavior, how they do the things. Okay. And that's a challenge changing the people's behavior. I can go hours on changing the behavior, but let's talk about what are the good three, four metrics. First one is I like to have percent planned work, increase planned work. Planned work is a much more cost-effective and it creates a better discipline in your process. So percent planned work, the more, the better we are. Second one, scheduling compliance. How much you put on the schedule, how much you really did it. Because it really tells you how much reactive work you have to, your people have to do. 
Okay, so that's very important to me. Then other one which we I try to do is a lot, or we did a lot, is how you tackling these failures, root cause analysis. How many root cause analysis you or your people did it in a one week or one month period? The way I tell our taught people is in a period, any period, one week or one month period, whatever you have, in that period, pull out all the work order, which were breakdown work orders, okay? And then select which one is important to you and take care of that. Means have a set up a team and work with them to come up why this failure happened and how we can reduce it, minimize it, eliminate it. Okay, and do that. So put in your goal that you're going to do, pick up two work orders in that period, whatever period is, depending on your size or people availability, and do it every time, every week, every month, do it. And that will make the difference eventually. Percent plan work, scheduling compliance, number of RCA root cause analysis you have done, and then track the cost also. What's your PM and collective maintenance cost is? Another one, you should have it, if you don't have it, is a safety. You know, safety is how many safety incidents per 100 people or 200,000 man hour, which is OSHA requirement. And that's every company has, should have it. That's another one to watch what your safety, you know, metrics is. So I think these are three or four metrics are really, and you know, ought to do. And if you got my book, Maintenance with Best Practices, chapter, 10, 9, and 10. They talk about all those metrics. I have given a list there. You can look into or you go to SMRP website, get the metrics there. Okay. So that's kind of a short answer there. Yeah, I think what I hear from you, Ramesh, and I would totally agree with this, is kind of a mixture of both lagging and leading indicators, right? You want to track both inputs and you also want to track mm -hmm. outputs in measures of success. So leading indicators, PM compliance, planned work, Lagging indicators, obviously, cost, safety, both are important. And I, I think what I hear from you, there isn't necessarily a single metric that does the best job showing improvement. Whatever you measure, you're probably going to improve. I think what we really focus our customers on and people that we talk to here at Upkeep is definitely make sure that you're tracking the right metrics in, in an outcome way. If you're really focused on reducing downtime, if you're really focused on reducing number of safety incidents, if you really focus on reducing cost, then definitely track that. That's going to showcase progress and improvement, but make sure that the leading indicators that you track are directly correlated towards what the outcome, what the goal is. Yep. In fact, we track my place, we track, for, I, I got a data for 12 years, which I think is in a book also, we track PM compliance and safety. And we saw that at downtime, as we, our PM compliance went up and our downtime went down, as well as our safety incident went down. So I can see, I mean, I know a friend of mine, Don Moore, he has a lot of data in his book also. He and I, we talked about it, but I've seen myself, I'm be tracking this data from long time. And yeah. we can see the difference, you know, as you do better PM, I mean, put a dedicated staff to do PM and get there better and schedule compliance, your PM compliance or schedule compliance, same thing sometimes, you know, but your downtime will go down, definitely will go down. Now, make sure your PMs are effective, 
they're doing their job. You know, that's to that point, every business is different, likely has different priorities based off of you know, the maturity curve, the age of the business, right. yep. the industry that you're in, the country that your business is located in. And so it's hard to say, like, these are the three metrics that are going to drive the highest effectiveness if you put the same amount of time, energy, effort into. It's hard to say that blanket statement, these are the three best ones. That's right. I mean, it depends upon your, what your business is, what you're doing, yeah. and your culture is, all these kinds of things do make a difference. Right. But I think you threw a great mixture of both, again, leading and lagging indicators and just making sure that you don't decouple those and that your leading indicators are directly correlated to what what your lagging, you know, outcomes and measures of success that, that you're trying to achieve are. You're right. Next question he asked. Ramesh, when um, implementing lean maintenance into an organization, how important is it to develop a maintenance value stream map? And obviously this was in your your book. So if you haven't read Ramesh's book, um, definitely get it. Maybe we could start with what is a maintenance value stream map first? And then we could go into uh, deeper into the question. I just, first of all, let me go, what's a lean maintenance? Lean, as the name says, or lean manufacturing or lean maintenance, as the name says, becoming lean, get rid of fat, whether it's in your belly or in your process. <laughs> it's simple. And in fact, people go to three, four days class just to learn what lean is. But they, what they teach them there is a, how to get rid of waste, better planning and scheduling, store management, all those kind of things, that's what teach them. So same thing lean maintenance is getting rid of your waste in your maintenance process. What's a waste? If your people are waste waiting in the storeroom, what that, or they don't have the right spares, they are waiting, they don't have the right tools, they don't know how to repair something, they are waiting for somebody to come in. So all those things are waste. Even your PMs, people are not properly sequenced them. Somebody is doing a PM or repair, then they find out, oh, they need this part. They have to go to store or they need a special wrench or something or torque wrench. They have to go to store and get somewhere. These are the ways and getting rid of those, you use this process value state mapping. What you do, you look the process, whether it's operation process or maintenance process, whatever process you have, you get the right people in the room and then you start putting sticky. Hey, what's the first thing we have to do? What's the second thing we do with third, fourth, fifth? And then you may forget so you can put back, hey, this is what also we do. Then you go back, this is the way current state is, okay? That's your current state. You try to set up that way. Then you start looking into what activities you don't need is waste. There also you try to put a coating there is a must, means green. You have to do that. Then there are some activities they don't add any value. You put a red to that, okay? These are red, they don't add value. Then there are activities which are dictated by regulations. Your boss says, someone, hey, we must do that. That's a yellow. So first is you take the red activities out of the process. And then yellows, you have to think, can you talk to, if it's a regulatory requirement, really you have to do it? or bosses, you need to talk to them, hey, why you want this us to do? Because many times we have seen 
in the organizations, something happened 10 years, five years, 20 years ago, and they put in the system that we're going to do this. Those machines are gone, things have changed, you know, improved the process, but that activity is still there. Activities you have to do is green, which adds value to your process. Red, don't add a value, take them out. So you do this mapping and then you make a change. Then that's a, after you take the red out and also try to see how many yellow you can eliminate them. And that becomes your feature state. That's what you implement. This process is called value sheet map. I think what I hear from this is it's extremely important to, to create this value stream map. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll throw one additional perspective into this, Ramesh, because you know we've seen it a lot across a lot of our, our customers and people that use upkeep. I think they have they often have a challenging time getting rid of something because yeah. you just don't know. You don't know if it adds value. There's this thought that it probably does, but it's hard to quantify, well, how much? And you kind of run into this question around like, okay, well, if I spend a dollar, if I spend five hours, how much ROI am I getting out of that $1 or those five hours? And because oftentimes our, you know, people in the industry, our customers, they, they don't know the answer to that. They say, it's more risky for me to just keep doing it than to take it out. Any like thoughts around, you know, how to navigate yes. that? How much risk do you want to take? Okay. Mm-hmm. Maintenance is risk taking really is ma- why we do maintenance. If we don't do maintenance, something is going to fail. So you don't want to minimize that risk. Okay. You do. Now question comes is PM activity, any activity I'm doing on this machine how much is costing me? What's the risk? And that brings me to this run to failure. I think somewhere later we're going to talk or we already talked, run to failure thinking, which is RCM process. There you look into, should I do this activity or should I do PM on this asset or not? Okay. Which is you start looking, okay, if this machine is going to fail, what's the impact? Let's look into, later on I have example, you take a blower, let's say fan. A fan could be in a bathroom or a fan could be a, a blower in the furnace where it produces providing a hot air. Now, if this hot air fan, the same kind, goes out, it's cost, going to cost you a lot of money. You, we must do something on it so it doesn't go out. The blower in the bathroom or in a, just a blowing the air in the room if it goes out, it's not going to kill anybody. It's not going to hurt me because also I know I can get that blower from Granger or somebody here locally within two hours or four hours. Yeah. Okay. So I can live in a four hours or six hour period. It's okay. So there I'm going to decide this is not that important. I can run to failure philosophy. Yeah. But I tell people, Put in your system, CMMS, upkeep, or wherever your, your CMMS system is, we have made a conscious decision that we are not going to do anything on this PM because it's not an economical thing on it. So that's the kind of thing you have to do. It's a risk-taking. You have to take some risk. This is, comes to the manager's role. I, when I was a manager's leader, so my group, I tried to take shield my people because they get a lot of, no, we have to do this PM. 
then I'll say, hey, make you make a decision. If we have to eliminate these tasks, it's okay. But evaluate all those things. Because a lot of pressure comes from somebody said, we need to keep doing things. Now, let's make it. Things have changed. Somebody made a decision 10 years ago to do this activity. And now it doesn't make sense. Let's take it out from system. Yeah. I think when people often think of like doing an RCM analysis, they think of you know, week-long process. But what I'm hearing from you is when you're going through this value stream map, you're almost doing like mini RCAs yourself. Oh, you're yeah, risk, that's you're right. Criticality. You're thinking backup plan across every single one of these activities that, that we perform. So that's right. Ask our, our next question. And this is a really good question because I do feel like they often get mixed up. What's the relationship between reliability centered maintenance, RCM, and total productive maintenance, TPM? These two words often get mixed up from time to time. Ramesh, what's, yeah. what's your take? Just big picture. TPM, when we talk TPM, is a we are talking total productive maintenance, which is a getting operator involved in that process. Back in 60s and 70s, again, read chapter seven on my book, gives you all history about TPF, how it started, again, Japanese philosophy, getting people involved. It was easier for Japan and other that part of the world because their culture is different, okay? And they get this TPM done very effectively. Where operator takes a responsibility to do few things. Where few things means, again, thinking is, operator is there all the time, doing operator machine or asset, whatever he or she is doing, and they can see things, they can smell things, they can hear things if something is not right. So they are the first line of defense. They can take some action which can minimize failures, or they can ask somebody to take call maintenance, or they can do a few things to minimize failures or repair, all those kind of things. That's really TPM. RCM is a maintenance PM optimization tool where you try to see what we need to do, what kind of maintenance we need to do on this asset based on, and we perform failure mode and effect analysis, FIBA on asset, try to see how this machine can fail and how we can minimize that so it doesn't fail. So these are two things. We're getting operator involved because they are there, they can do a better job, help us operate that machine as well, minimize maintenance, okay? Where RCM is a more a, how to optimize our maintenance need on that machine. Absolutely, and you know, obviously the TPM strategy is much more all-encompassing, gets the entire company involved. Maybe the question here, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts from Ash. Like, do you feel like more businesses should adopt the TPM strategy, get operators involved, get the entire company involved? It's a big well, investment. Back in the 80s and 90s, TPM really was rolling. There was used to be a TPM conference, and I've gone through of those, and there used to be 1,200 people I've seen. It was kind of a Everybody was wanted to do it, but it has to be a different culture. Union, everyone has to get involved because it takes some effort from the company as well as people around. Think about yourself. You are owner of that car. If you, what a car you're driving. If you're driving a car and you see, trying to put a brake and doesn't stop proper, you know, in a safe distance, then you feel, hey, there's something my brake pedal may be bad or something, or your steering wheel is vibrating. You are, you know, you're getting this, can you? 
Now, it means there's something wrong, either they are not aligned properly or unbalanced due to unbear or something, okay? You take it to, you take it to service station, get, take care of it, you know, in next, whenever you get an extra facility. Now, because you are owner of that asset, you take the ownership. That's what TPM is also. TPM principle is that the person who is operating is responsible to make sure it's properly running. I remember long, long time ago, I talked a lot too, when I was going to college and during summer when I was doing training, boy, I was in a machine shop. This guy got me really, before the ship closes, he got me cleaning that machine. He said, and he felt himself. I noticed now I remembering those things that he was proud of his machine. He felt great taking care of that machine. That's the ownership concept. Okay. So that concept has due to whatever environment, and in fact, chapter seven, I talked about it, is the result of our reward system over the years. The way we are set up, then you run the machine, I'm on production. Don't worry about if you have to abuse the machine, mean misuse the machine. You know, designer, you design for the lowest cost. We don't care. We want to pay lowest possible. You know, what's the best value? So I think over the years, we have created a reward system, which is not good. And that's what is causing all our problems. All right. Let's see if we can get people back on that TPM train. (laughs) The next question is, what are some practical tips to help an organization go from deterministic to probabilistic data analysis. Maybe we could start with the differences between the two. I I know that we've talked about this. I think somewhere we talked about it. I remember. Well, again, deterministic is anything you do, you have a good data and where probabilistic is you are going more random data. In a deterministic models does not include elements or randomness. It's all this, 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 you know, everything's there. Let me give you an example. You have bank account. Bank account, you know how much money you got today. They tell you what percentage you're going based on your CD, whatever, you know, one year, six months, or two years, how much interest are you going to get? So you can calculate pretty good, and number that number is not going to change, and it's going to come right what you're going to get. Probabilistic model, you are maybe not on this interest rate you don't know is a variable like your house mortgage. Sometimes you get variable rate. Variable rate, you don't know, is linked to some index, and next month what your payment is going to be, or following month what's payment, it's all different. So that's, in a probabilistic model, it's a randomness is there, you don't know what's going to happen. It's a probability function, that three from now, even your failure rate, it may be changing, determine what's your failure rate going to be. Now, for sake of simplicity, in our failure rate equation, back or curve, we ignore the front part, back, end part. We take this as constant curve. We say constant flat line. Average number is a constant failure rate, and that's what we try to see. Even though it varies, but we take average. So that's the difference: is there is a randomness and non-randomness. In a deterministic model, you don't have randomness. It's a data is pretty clear. You get the same results repeatedly. Okay. How much would we love to never have any randomness in our data and have a perfect data set that can tell us <laughs> 10 out of 10 times this is what's going to happen? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a challenge. Again, we don't have good quality and all kind of issues comes in the picture. And reliability, again, is a estimation. You estimate things. Again, based on good data you're coming, you'll be pretty close. If you don't have good data, a lot of variability in the process. You may have a variability in your uh, results too, you know, so depends. Our next question is when listing maintenance strategy, like reactive, preventive, predictive, proactive, where do you think reliability-centered maintenance fits in? Let me give you what all these mean. Reactive. Reactive usually means fixing things. You are in a mode where things fail, you fix it, fail, you fix it, okay? Preventive, you have a preventive maintenance program it may be on a calendar base, run base, something. So on a on that interval, you're going in a machine, inspecting it, try to find something so you can identify potential failures. Okay, that's where you try to take preventive. Now, predictive, you use condition-based technology. You use some of the infrared camera, ultrasonic gun, a vibration analysis, all different kind of tools in our toolbox. We use them to find how machine can, what's possibility of machine failing and try to have what are the potential failure to identify in advance and then take care of them, okay? Key thing whether it's a preventive or predictive is you find the problems, then take action. If you don't take action, problems are going to be there. They're going to fail. So you take them action. Now, proactive usually, again, definitions are the finding from preventive predictive, you have findings, hey, there's a problems there, and you correct them in a planned fashion, planned manner. That's a proactive method. Doing preventive, doing predictive, and fixing those in you know, a planned fashion, that's a proactive method. RCM, as I talked earlier, is a how to optimize your PM, your preventive and predictive. RCM process uses, eventually it should tell you what preventive you have to do, what predictive you have to do, and what TPM you have to do. So RCM looks into all aspects, how it can fail, and then what's the best strategy for that. So you're going to find out if there's some tasks we're going to do to operator. That's the best, most economical, let operator do those. Those are TPM. What we can do if that is on a regular basis, I mean, runtime, or should be on my calendar runtime, or I can use ultrasonic gun or something like that. So based on all technology, all these three things, that's what RCM is going to tell you what's the best for that. Exactly. And thank you, Ramesh, for all of your experience in all of this. I know that it can be you know, very confusing. There's so many different words. There's so many different terminologies and acronyms in our space. So I really appreciate you helping all of us navigate through this uh, world. <laughs> what is your approach to critical assessment? How do you rank the consequences of failure and the likelihood of failure? This is a really good question because we were kind of alluding to this earlier, which is almost always, if you do something, it's going to add value to the business. But that's that's often not the question at hand. It's more about how much value is it adding to the business? So this is a really good question. How do you prioritize consequence of failure? How do you prioritize likelihood of failure? Think about what criticality means. Criticality is ranking of assets which are important to you, or impact of your production or whatever. Which one is more important if that goes down, how much you're going to get hurt? If that's what criticality means, to ranking of your asset accordingly. And then you can say, think about how 
you know, looking into these assets, what's the probability of failure, consequence, and what's the, how severe the consequence could be, okay? And I will go back to this example I gave this blower in a room, just circulating the air or bathroom, or that blower is in a piece of equipment for a furnace, slot furnace, opposing furnaces, where it's providing the combustion air to the furnace, okay? Now, both blower could be the same. They are doing the same function, but one function to one asset is very, very important. If that function is lost, we are in deep trouble because my furnace is down, I cannot do the work. Where other is in a not, in a impact is not that much, it's not in a non-critical situation there. So you have to, really what our message I'm giving is, one case, you have to do a blower fan, you have to do a RCM analysis or FMEA, and how this furnace blower can go out and what kind of thing I have to do. So that, and what's the probability? Because also think both environments are different. One is in a hot area or some area where this blower is house is producing. Other one is a different environment. And what's the impact? Right. How critical that impact is going to go to production? You're yeah. whatever you're doing it. And that's yeah. what the difference. It's often easy to think about, you know, the criticality of that one machine, that one line. But what I hear from you is you also need to really think about the downstream effects. If that one line goes down, how does that also impact the later stages of a manufacturing process? If you're manufacturing one part of the good, like how does that also impact, you know, the second, third, fourth phases of that product? Yeah. And encapsulate all of that into your criticality and that assessment too. That's right. All that's again, you have to think that quality people don't take seriously. You know, many places I ask that question, what percent of your assets are critical? And oh, <laughs> almost 70, 80%, you know, oh, everything, all my equipment, hey, you have to think about it. Then I say, okay, if you're a transformer, your power is coming and transformer you got, then it's go to shop or different places. If that goes down, then everything goes down. Is a single point failure. So those are, you have to find which are single point failure, very important. And blow, which I talked about, load those kind of component or assets which are important can shut it down for your assets, you know. That's a critical. And again, we have to see the consequences of failure, how much it will cost you, blah, blah, blah. And that also, if you're doing right stuff and doing FMEA, RCM process, also should identify what space you need to keep. One thing that we've started doing with a lot of our customers here at Upkeep, Ramesh, is we've been trying to really push our customers to think about the cost of downtime for each one of your assets. And the reason for that, the criticality of a high versus low, people don't really understand that. But people can really easily comprehend, oh, shoot, this is you know, $10,000 every hour that we're down. This is $500 every hour that we're down. And that really helps people put themselves, even if it's a rough rule of thumb, it might not be plus or minus 20% that we're right. It really helps people put the thought in the right mindset. I think as a part of this whole process, when you start thinking criticality, you have to, as say, you have to start thinking how much it cost me. If it goes down the whole line and usually like automobile, when you go assembly line, both or your steel mill, those places cost is very high. You know, if some equipment goes down with a line, 
lunch and talk. You're talking 10 dollars an hour or something. We had a, our place where I was working for a while and we had a testing and then when test, you know, if something goes down, we have to shut down the test. You're talking about $10,000 per hour, $20,000 depending upon, because a lot of people are involved, a lot of horsepower, electricity is consumed, which is going in the waste, all those kind of things. <laughs> yep. So when you're thinking about criticality, you're thinking about how to prioritize. Again, it's easier to think in terms of cost versus high, yep. medium, low versus yep. a number one, which is low and a number 10 is a high. So that's yeah. just one framework. Also, in fact, I talked about in a chapter, I think in a four, that criticality when you're doing is low. People try to do one to 10 and that get a little bit cumbersome. Again, low, medium, high is easier. One, two, three is a one, two, three, four, five, much easier to do. And going to 10 gets a little bit difficult. Just a side note, some people <laughs> do it. Some companies do all the way one to 10 and boy, that gets you very complex, you know. Uh, and then there's a 7.5 somewhere in there too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Ramesh, thank you so much for taking all this time to answer some of our community members' questions. Ton of knowledge, lots of great information in this um, podcast today. Really appreciate you taking the time, Ramesh. If any of our listeners actually want to receive answers to their questions, you can actually join our community Slack group at upkeep.org. You can actually receive live answers from fellow members or hear from Ramesh, the reliability Sherpa himself in our monthly roundup. Again, my name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. I'm joined by my good friend here, Ramesh Gulati, who very, very graciously dedicates his time towards, you know, helping support and educate the rest of our, our industry. So I want to say thank you again, Ramesh. Really appreciate you taking all this time. Thank you, Ryan, giving me the opportunity to talk to your listeners, <laughs> people, practitioners. I want to, whatever I can share my knowledge, that's how I'm ready to do it. Okay? All right. Looking thank forward you. to our next roundup next month. I'll talk to you soon. Right. See you. Take all care. Right. Bye. Bye.